everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in Los Angeles with ESPN's Ramona Shelburne on uh, the morning after the NBA's suspension of Draymond Green for Game 3 of the Warriors-Kings series dropped late last night, Ramona, and uh, very much of a shot heard around the entire NBA. What, what was your reaction initially to the league's decision? Well, I was watching the the Phoenix Clippers game and saw the uh, announcement come across, and I was stunned. And I think I think all of us were. I mean, I, like my phone, I, I, I would like to say I was able to watch the Phoenix Clippers game very closely afterwards, but I think everyone in the NBA was texting, like just could not believe that this was not not so much this was the decision, but that they the league really went and did it. Like obviously this was talked about. I don't think the expectation was that the league would suspend Draymond Green, and then when they actually did, it was like, oh, <laughs> like what does that mean? And I, you know, I've covered a couple of dynasties, Adrian, that um, they last, and then sometimes, sometimes the ending really sucks. Like sometimes the ending is ugly and I, I i kept having flashbacks to 2011 with the lakers everybody knew phil jackson was retiring there was going to be a lockout it was like a they, you know they had this was the fourth year they were trying to go to the finals and that series against dallas where they get swept and and those games were not competitive games but it was like it was ugly remember the andrew bynum clothesline and all that it was just like is this really how this is going to go and obviously the warriors are not done they're going to have a lot to say about this still, but not having great Draymond Green for game three when you're down 2-0 to a team that has kind of been beating them at their own game, like kicking their ass at their own game, is is really damaging. Yeah, I think, there, listen, there's this belief that the league has plays this favoritism toward big market teams, teams that drive ratings, drive interest, and it certainly punctured that. Woo! Right, it punctured that idea that <laughs> yeah. that the league would just look at it and say, "Well, the Warriors are down 2-0. They're on the ropes. Like we're not going to take Draymond Green out of the game when we already ejected him from Game Two. Warriors were down four when that happened, and then the game got away from them against the Kings from there. But but they did, and and I I don't think it's a small factor that. Adam Silver was in the building that night. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of factors to this. Talk to Joe Dumars, the league's vice president of essentially discipline is one of his major roles. And he came on NBA Today with us when we were there too. And so a big, there, there was more than one part of this. It's obviously the, the stomp on Sabonis. That that's, was the major part of it, but... Draymond's behavior, and that's the conduct yeah. detrimental, you know, circling the court, getting in by their bench with the fans and and kind of working them into a further frenzy. Yeah. Th- that played a part. And when the commissioner's in the building, it's one thing to see it on tape, but when you're feeling it and you look out and you worry about the escalation of a moment yeah. like that, where all of a sudden that's how it started in the palace, right? Somebody throws a cup. And then next thing you know, something is out of hand and the term the league has used over and over, Joe Dumars did today with us, repeat offender, that this was this was very much a lifetime achievement award. Yeah. If it was any other player, I think he'd be playing game three. So I remember a similar situation happened with, you know, the artist formerly known as Ron Artest, right? Met a world piece back in the day, and he, 
you know, he was always in that similar category of like, you know, I got fined or suspended for being on our test, right? And and uh, or Meta World Police. I think he just goes by one of those now. But um, he, uh, it was. This is where Draymond is, and I think like that the situation at the beginning of the year, it feels like a, it feels like a bookend. Right? It, it really is. You open this. You open the season with a punch. The a league didn't step in there. It's not really the league's place to step in there. No, okay, and they, a, they a, left it to the Warriors. Yeah. Who did not suspend him? No. Who wanted him there opening night for ring night? Ring night and didn't suspend him. And the league said, "Okay, Joe Laca, Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, we're yep. going to let you handle this." It was an embarrassing episode for the league to have that on tape for people to see that. Yep. But but typically they don't get in the middle of team Practice skirmishes stuff. because yeah. I'm not saying there's one of those every month or every week. There isn't. That yeah. was a unique. But there's. Guys go at it, and they leave yep. it to teams to discipline on that. But when the lights are on and it's a playoff game and it's on national TV, that that one's not getting left to the team. No, and and I thought um, it was a raucous atmosphere in Sacramento. I've heard I, I wasn't at the games, but I've heard from people who were there. And then you know there was a funny video that went around of the fan behind Bob Myers up in the stands ringing the cowbell the whole time. Um, I, it was a raucous atmosphere, and as you say, like. When you have an atmosphere like that and you have, I mean, Draymond kind of went WWE there. I mean, he was like, you know, playing yeah. the heel. Yeah. And on some level, that's entertainment. And some level, you know, people like villains. And he's, it's, it's an interesting story. I, I, I have to say, though, I am really surprised. All that, that being act, said, I All that being you. said, I didn't think you should I, have I understand it. You can make a case for yeah. it. They have made a case for it. But I think the Warriors feeling is you, you partly cost us game two when he was ejected and i don't think they really are i don't think anybody there is arguing the ejection he escalated it from sabonis grabbing his ankle there i think the way the league looked at it there were two different acts sabonis got punished there was a technical foul there a free throw shot uh but i think the comparison someone made to me over there was you know if somebody shoves you and then you punch him you've escalated it right? right the shove is part of it but and again repeat offender and they use that term here's the other thing that there this is kind of the subtext to all of this the new cba just came out a couple of weeks ago and as you've been reporting on it bobby mark's been reporting on it like this was a very anti-big market cba i think there's a lot of stuff in there that teams like the warriors that's that are way over the luxury tax and then you know there's that there's this they, they didn't there's no hard cap but there there's the second apron we're going to be talking about the aprons a lot over the next few years but that second apron that the warriors are going to be subjected to um nobody wants to go over that the warriors the clippers the knicks the lakers whatever big market teams are in position to spend at that yeah, level. It, it, it makes it very limiting to almost do anything else with your roster. Right. And so this has been, a, um, you can't separate what's happening on the court right now from what looms in the future with the new CBA. It's got, you know, there's two years for this to come into effect, but like the Warriors have to add that into their calculus in how they build the team, adjust the team, et cetera, it, that, that new deal is going to really affect the Warriors, I think. And and I think they fought hard against a lot of the provisions that and the and the details that have come out, and they didn't win. Yeah, and I, I listen, I don't think Joe Lacob, and you were yeah. going off track a little bit, but it's a it's a really good point, Ramona. I don't think Joe Lacob's view was don't let us spend, Yeah. Um, that I just want to outspend everybody. I don't think he minds being reined in a little bit by this has been a creation of yeah. his own success. 
how well they drafted, players' desires to stay there yep. and continue in Golden State. Uh, so much of it is Steph Curry, and it all revolves around him, a superstar who never really thought for a moment about playing anywhere else, who's and who guys want to play with. Kevin Durant came, yep. he left, and they've had a core, and then they draft Jordan Poole. And I think the Warriors... Right now, there's if they kept everybody, which I don't think they will, would be looking at a five hundred million dollar payroll and luxury Ooh. tax next year. And even if you win a championship, I don't know if that you can justify that. I don't think they want to spend that. But you're right about this reining in of these. Really, there were three teams that were in that stratosphere yeah. spending the last few years. Golden State. There's been an average of three teams in different years. They've moved in and yeah. out. Three teams who spend over that second apron who are spending just with no real yep. restraint. It was Brooklyn when they had Durant and Kyrie Irving. Yep. It was the Clippers with their payroll, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and everybody else. And then obviously the Warriors. And, you know, we may see, you know, Brooklyn shaved $100 million off yeah. of their payroll with what they've done and whatever. Gold State. But it goes back to the idea of this belief of preferential treatment for a big market team. And here are the Kings who get a big break and a big, big opportunity now to take full control of this series in what's going to be a really raucous and emotional uh, chase center for game three and a, and a group that's got plenty enough to go out and win a home game in the playoffs against Sacramento. Still. Yeah, and, and this, you know, this may not be the end of the Warriors, right? Like, I think that game three is going to be electric. I think the home crowd is going to feel they're going to rally behind whoever's out there. I think it's, you know, I was there when Draymond was suspended in the finals game. It was an electric atmosphere. They still lost. <laughs> so they blew the 3-1 lead. But, but you know, they, they may not have enough. This Kings team is good. Like, that's the one thing. Like, my takeaway from those first two games is, yes, the Warriors were historically bad on the road this year for a team of that caliber. And they turn the ball over. They're sloppy. They get, they foul a lot. They're, they're bad on the road. But they didn't just lose those games because they're bad on the road. They lost the games because the Kings are good. And they're not going to stop being good just because the game's at Chase Center. That's right. And it's like you've seen this young team pass a couple tests at home and now going on the road – you know, Andrew Wiggins will be he's gonna have it's only he's only been yeah. back for two games since mid February. You would think he'll keep playing better um as the series goes on, but but uh yeah, I just think for Draymond Green and this Warriors organization, how the season started where you wondered about his credibility in the locker room, his ability, yeah. what made Draymond great, part of the thing that makes him great is his his ability to drive his teammates. Yep. To not just create havoc with the opposition and be just all the intangibles he brings you and this unique, his unique skill set on the floor, but his ability to drive his teammates and push guys and get young guys to understand what it means to be a warrior and to play the way they do. And I think the concern was that that had really been undermined this season, right? And now even if they feel this was over the top, even if they don't feel it was justified that the league unfairly punished him, it is still a situation Draymond Green put him in. Yeah, and I I think that's very well said because I'll tell you, I I had seen the Warriors a couple times this year where they were on the road here in L.A. and they, as we talked about, they're not good on the road. And it was a right. It was the last game before the All-Star break and they, they kind of got their ass kicked here in L.A. by both teams. And it was a... Uh, it was a weird 
it was a weird game because Draymond gave a, a pretty impassioned post-game speech about how bad their defense was and like you have to want it and you have to, and defense is about effort it's not just about ability and it was like it was one of those speeches and, and especially with all the cameras around where you didn't even have to ask a question like he had something to say it was a message he wanted everyone in the locker room to hear and I thought myself oh, this is this is old this is the old Draymond this is what Draymond would do grab the mic set the tone give everyone that message heading off into the all-star break. They're all going away for, you know, 10 days or whatever it was. I want to see what they do the next game. Like, how did that message sit with them? Nothing changed. Like, it didn't land. Like, whatever whatever he was hoping to accomplish with this light of fire under his teammates, I'm going to be the veteran here, and I'm a former defensive player of the year, I'm a guy who should be in that conversation every year. Like, it didn't have the effect that it normally would. I didn't see any difference the next time out when they played on the road. They, their defense did not get better. The, the point of attack defenses was atrocious all year long. That's why they had to go out and get Gary Payton the second again. That's why it was so critical they got Andrew Wiggins back because that perimeter defense has been killing them all year. And so I think you know his his credibility in that locker room. I think with the veterans, there's a sort of Draymond. They know Draymond. They've been it's through with a the lot younger with them. Players, right? But it's with the younger players. Yeah. They, they, they the younger players have not won championships with him except for last year. They weren't there for the for all those great runs and games against the Cavs. And while he's they respect him as a player, like, you know, when you punch somebody like he did to Jordan Poole, like that undercuts your credibility. It just does. Plus I also think there is um he's a different guy too. He's he's older and wiser and I you know, I've known him the whole time he's been in the league. I remember him coming out of Michigan State and, and uh he he has always been so smart and so savvy, um, but like now you hear from him all the time on the podcast. Like you hear that there's a sort of running commentary, and um, I think all of that weighs into the general feeling in that locker room, which is like the, there's a split between the older and the younger who've been there, who've been through the wars with him. Like people, people, there's still a reverence for him in that organization. I I I, I pressed all those buttons today in those conversations. It, you know, is there an anger at him? Uh, I think there's there might have been when it first happened, but uh, because he got suspended, and people feel that was unjust. There's a there's still a, um, a respect for his contributions as a whole. Yeah, like the, somebody called him a loyal soldier to me. Yeah, like, and I think I think the sense I got last night when it first happened, the reaction wasn't, "Hey, we're angry with Draymond." Yeah, it was, "Hey, we're gonna go, the the sense I got from one." And one yeah. player was, "Hey, we're going to go out and we're going to go out and kick their ass." That's yeah. that's what we're going to try to do here in Game Three. It wasn't pointed at him, but history will remember how this ends based on yeah. winning or losing in Game Three. That's going to be a big part Ooh. of how this. If they win Game Three, and now Draymond's coming back yeah. for Game Four with a chance to tie it, tie the series, and go back to Sacramento two-two and put a tremendous amount of pressure on a young Kings team in a Game Five. Uh, you know, so far the Kings have held on to home court and it feels, I always thought they could win, they yeah. would win two games. I Listen, this so easily could just be 2-2 going back Yeah, and the Warriors drill them twice at home, but it's harder with Draymond out of the lineup. Yeah, There's no and, question. And, and you, we're going to have to see either, it's, it's either going to be Kevon Looney just plays the whole game or we're going to have to see Kaminga. We're going to have to see some of the young guys. Like this is, you know, Steve Kerr has been through these kind of situations before where they haven't had Steph for certain playoff runs. They haven't had Draymond for certain games. Clay has been out in and out some of the times during these runs. But this is probably the, the steepest hill they've had to climb since 
since the, the whole run, really. Well, I don't know. I'll pause on that. Let's take that back. The Oklahoma City series, that was pretty that was yeah. pretty big that was a pretty big one. Yeah. <laughs> Game six clay. <laughs> that was the biggest one. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Listen, this is a Warriors team. It's going to look different next year. Yep. It is not going to look the same. And I think there's going to be really hard choices for them to make on this roster. I don't think they want to have a $500 million payroll, and I don't think they will. And so, you know, I think the view is the choices are going to be built around Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. Yep. Clay Thompson has one year left on his deal. Draymond Green has a player option at $27.5 million. Lots of ways that can go. You can opt out and become a free agent. You can opt into the deal and play out your contract. You can uh, extend off of that. So there's lots of ways. It reminds me a little James Harden last year with the Sixers. Um, where the if he just picks up the player option in some ways, that's worse. Even though it, it, it because you extend off that number, but if you opt out and then do a more of a team friendly deal, um, then you know James Harden got a lot of credit this year for for sacrificing so they could go yeah. get PJ Tucker and et cetera. Like there's a there's a world in which all of them come back, but that world is much easier to imagine if they have a long playoff run and. You know the aptly named Chase Center because they literally print money every time they have games there. I mean, it's it is that profitable of a setup, and and that matters. That it deep is, playoff you run still matters. Have to want to, you still have to want yep. to pay a five hundred million dollar. Yeah, you still have to want to do that. No matter how much money you make, a lot of owners make money on their teams yep. and don't spend like that. And I give Joe Lacob that credit because he has been willing to spend. And I get it; they do make a lot of money. There's also a lot of owners who make a lot of money and don't spend that way That's right. and want to win. And and he has, um, and so. Listen, that's going to be as interesting of a playoff game as we've had yet in this postseason. There have been some great ones. Let's move quick, Ramona, to another series that's come back to where we are in L.A., Suns-Clippers, Clippers-Steel, Game 1. You know, it feels like such an uphill climb for a Clippers team that without Paul George, and we've reported he's likely out for this series no matter how long it extends, you know, if you're looking on the court and being honest about it, that Suns have four of the best five players in the series, right? Yep. Kawhi and Kevin Durant, and then it's Booker, it's Chris Paul, it's DeAndre Ayton. But they stole game one. Yep. Do the Clippers have enough? Can Kawhi Leonard play at a high enough level to keep that to make this a long series? Okay, so let's just let's start with this. I have been watching Kawhi the last two, three months, and people don't talk about him in the regular season, especially after Paul George got hurt. But he has been a monster the last couple of months of the season. Like he's, uh, he is playing at as high a level as anyone in this league. If he could, if he could ever play at that level for an entire season, he'd be an MVP. More efficient yeah. than he's ever played. He's never. Yes. He's been as good as anybody in this league. Anybody. I, I don't name me a player. He is yeah. that good. The, the last two months of the year, he's been incredible. 
And especially since Paul George has been out, I thought he's he's really put this team on his back, and, and he looks he looks healthier than I've seen him even 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 the year that they went to the Western Conference Finals yeah. where he, he he had the knee injury in that Utah series, but but before that he against Dallas he he looks healthier to me than he did mm-hmm. then. So I I usually start every con- you know Kevin Durant's the best player. I don't know Kawhi's right there with him. He's he's really good right now. Um, Book has elevated himself into that conversation as well. Um, but I think what the Clippers have is they have so many different looks that they can throw at you, and mm-hmm. they have a hell of a coach. And they Who, who's at his best this time of year? Exactly. Ty Lue is a great, great postseason coach. He's not afraid yep. to experiment. Stan Van Gundy said it the other night yep. on TV. That is a real compliment. He's not afraid to get criticized. He's not afraid to do yeah. things that might get other people criticized. And some coaches will play it safe. I don't want. Yep. And it's not just the public criticizing you; it's your owner, your GM. And Ty has a. Ty has a fearlessness about him to experiment, try things, and just a great feel. Yep. He, you've seen this with him in the postseason, and this is a Clipper team that came out and, is, and certainly in game one was really physical and I think pushed the Suns back a little bit in game one. They they look like just faster, more athletic, There's and there's waves. Like they can throw waves at you with the different – you know, you can have – Westbrook, you can have Norman Powell out there. You can have Terrence Mann. Like they have, they have so much depth. And like we, we were talking about the salary cap and, and the luxury tax and the three teams that are you know up at that level. That's where this matters. Like that that trade that they did for Covington and Norman Powell two years you ago. You couldn't do that trade now. No, that would not be allowed yeah, now. Yeah, and, and you can't go sign the mid level exception guy. So it was John Wall for them, yeah. which didn't make an impact. Yeah. Um, which became Russell Westbrook. And you though. can't do, and you couldn't sign Russell Westbrook, who's a buyout guy. Right. So those are three things. Can't do buyout players when you're in that threshold. You can't, the trade where you you take on a bunch of salary and don't yep. get back much, those are all limited. So team building. Yep. But teams will just adjust. It'll, they'll, yeah. But team building is is impacted, and, and you're going to see different decisions made about how, how many star players, you, how many big salaries you want to stack up. I mean, but like, look at look at this team right now. They have so many options, and, and you know that's a big word now, optionality. But you have when you have a really good coach, and you give him a lot of options to throw at a team like Phoenix that's very top heavy, and they just need another transaction cycle to sort of replenish the depth that they gave up. I think they, I think they'll look a little different next year too. But um, it's really the Clippers' depth and their optionality against the the Suns stars yeah i i just think if if durant and and booker are playing at a yep. really high level clippers don't have enough to win this series they have to they have to muck this thing up they have to uh i make think they it, will though yeah i think they're gonna throw zones at them maybe they'll yeah. box and one on kd or yeah. i mean they'll, it, do, they'll do all the. but it won't be the to me it won't be the gimmicks it'll be being really uh how the game's officiated yeah. how physical they can be with them. and then can Kawhi just keep playing at this Unreal level. Uh, other world level, and he's done it on the defensive end too. Um, and so, you know, think about Westbrook. And I'll say this because I, I usually when guys do a buyout, when teams pick up a buyout player, very rarely does it ever impact much in the postseason. Yeah, it usually doesn't. For all the yeah. time we spend on buyouts and who's yeah. getting who and breathless and chasing them, yeah. they typically don't. You know, this year let's go play. Patrick Beverly made a yeah. he made an impact. He did in Chicago. You know, they wanted Westbrook too, and. Westbrook goes to the Clippers. Yep. They bring Patrick Beverly home. They needed him in their locker room. It yep. was a, it was a languishing Kevin Love in group. Miami. Kevin Love now in the yeah. certainly game one against Milwaukee, um, impactful. So you're right. This Jay year, Crowder, Jay, well, I guess yeah. 
That was a trade. Trade, but, but trade. same kind yeah. of thing. Late, yeah. late, late pickup. That was a trade. Very rarely do do guys in this category. But like Russell Westbrook has made an impact in the series. Not just the, the you know the plays, the end of game one, but like he's defensively, he's he's playing at a level I haven't seen him since UCLA, and I I covered him at UCLA. Okay, so I was a little cub reporter covering the Ben Howland teams, so I know Russell Westbrook can play defense. He had some pretty good years in Oklahoma City. I know, but but defensively, (laughs) yeah, okay, like defensively, like I have not seen him have these kind of impact plays. No, he was tremendous. Certainly, the last minute, last couple minutes against the Suns and and the play on Devin Booker uh, in the last twenty seconds. He's blocking everyone. Listen, he is. He had the three for nineteen, and a lot was made of that. And those were shots that I think they prefer he he'd not take, but. (laughs) I think, for the most part, Russell Westbrook has played as the Clippers asked him to yeah. play. And when they sat down with him, Lawrence Frank, Ty Lue, and talked about here's what it has yep. to look like for this to work, he told them, that's how I'm going to play. I'm going to fit within that archetype of, of what you guys want. And he's done that this year. And yeah. they want him to be a playmaker. And I and I, and I I think I said this to you on the show when we, we talked about that. I was like, I heard that with the Lakers too. I heard he was going to do that, you know, at the beginning of the year and it didn't really materialize most. I mean, sometimes it did, but other times. But he really has done mm-hmm. that. And I think it's, it's also because when he was not doing that or even when he was playing well, but just – Ty Lue felt the game would be better with Norm Powell and Terrence Mann as the guard grouping rather than Eric Gordon and Russell Westbrook. He just like didn't play the second half sometimes, or he'd play a couple minutes and then he would just be out of the rotation. And like when you have a coach that's sitting you regularly and, and just putting you in when you fit and taking you out when you don't, like there's nothing. I mean, he he took it well. Like you know whether he whether he wants to talk about it or not or how that felt. I don't know what he was saying in his car ride home or whatever it is how he dealt with that, but. Like he, there was a lot of second halves this year where he didn't play much, and it wasn't like, oh, you're benched, and we didn't make a huge deal of it. Like that's the difference also playing with the Clippers and the Lakers. Like if if he would have done that with the Lakers, the whole story would have been about that. Oh, I didn't play Westbrook in the second half. Oh, he's not in the closing lineup. But the Clippers, like you barely notice, especially if they won. Let's jump east, Ramona, okay. to a team that I know you pay very close yeah. attention to, despite living out here on the West Coast. <laughs> The Philadelphia 76ers, who very clearly appear to be on a collision course with the Boston Celtics in the conference semifinal. It's a series I think everyone's yep. been looking forward to. I think you always had a sense that it was those two teams are going to go yep. through each other. And Boston's having a pretty easy time with Atlanta. The same with Philly with Brooklyn. Yep. I don't know if there's a team in the league that has more at stake with getting out of the second round, advancing yep. from the conference semis for how that organization team will look moving forward, then what's at stake for the Sixers? I agree. I mean, it's it last year there was a lot of talk about, okay, let's let's give the Sixers, let's give Doc Rivers and James Harden and Joel Embiid a whole a whole year together. Let's do a, a a preseason and have a whole full season together so they can work it all out and how how they're going to play and you know, and and I I buy that too because I I do think it takes players who, you know, you can say all you want like the the Embiid Harden pick and roll is the most efficient play in basketball. The stats back that up. It's not really a natural pick and roll game. Like Embiid is not Clint Capella. He doesn't roll to the basket and dunk. It's not really his game. He picks him. He does a pick and pop, and he kind of he does his own stuff. But they they really have they figured out however it's going to be. It's not it's not a perfect fit. 
but but because both of them are such good players and so smart basketball intelligence wise like it they've they've worked out the best version of how it can be but it just keeps coming and it always does this with great players it always does michael jordan had to get through the pistons right or he had to get like the the, the knicks have to beat the bulls or whoever it the, is the, like, the difference right though yeah. in those days were it was a, largely the same group same. of players yeah failing failing succeeding yeah. succeeding a little more succeeding a little more now when you fall short once or twice that's it the pieces are all sw- then yeah. i'm out he's out yeah. and we're moving right there's less of that right there, yeah. there's less of that that's not going to be the case in philly they're not looking no. at it that way and the players the groups aren't together like we can look at memphis and say hey this is a group hey they're going to be around a long time together they're going to grow just because guys are under contract doesn't mean yeah. it's quote unquote sustainable because we know that can change in yeah. a minute. But Philly, right? They're the one. Yeah. This year they have got to. There's going to be change there if they don't get. There may be change if they go to the finals. Yeah. James Harden's future is very unclear in Philadelphia. Houston well, is very much in play for him, and I think a lot may depend on do they make a run and win, and and it's easy to pay him long term yep. big money, or. He just wants to be back in Houston and win or lose, he goes, or it's dependent on the team's success. But it's gonna look different. It's gonna look it's gonna look different. And I think they kind of kicked the can down the road last year with the with the with the deal he signed. Um he took a little less money, you know, he was able to do a team team friendly contract. They got uh they got PJ in there, they got Daniel House, they got um they have they also have a decision on Tyrese Maxey, who's up for an extension. He's, he's, he's a guy a lot paid. of people covet. Yeah. He's going to get a big contract. And and that team is going to get more and more expensive. They already have Tobias Harris, who's on a big contract, and mm-hmm. Joel is on a big contract. Like, you know, not to mention, you know, just depending on the day of the week, how people feel about Doc Rivers in Philly, right? <laughs> he's become he's become sort of the um, the lightning rod for the fan base there. And so I, I just think there's, there's, as you say, I don't think there's a franchise that has as much writing on this postseason as as the Philadelphia 76ers. It's just it, – it, they already – when you talk about teams that, that stayed together and that you can work through it, the Celtics did that because their players were young. Yeah. Like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, those guys can play a couple years. And they overachieved early. Yeah. It felt like they were way ahead of schedule yeah. early, and it yeah. was a little bit of house money. But then last year you get to the finals and you go, okay, like we've got to – and, you know, Jalen Brown, that's yeah. – on. But you know what? It's just where we are in this league. Like none of it is ever. It's why you. It's why organizations, I should say, appreciate having the Steph Curry. Who yep. I think they feel like it is not a year-to-year proposition. Now they've done a credible job in Golden State. Of they've won four championships in eight years, and they've had great talent around him. He's never had to think about going anywhere else. But everywhere else, you are fighting for your life with either getting more talent, finding more talent. Or keeping the great talent you have compatible, yeah, and that that becomes good word, right? That that's that's the hard part. Because the thing is, like you and I have covered this league enough to know that you don't have to be best friends with you know out there on the court. But if you play together well, if you figure out how to make the pieces work, and you win, that you can stay together a long time. It's fine. I get the sense there's there's the the, the locker room's fine there. This isn't like a, a you know a locker room. You walk in and you sense something's wrong. Like it's not it's not like that. But but you, these are not perfect fits, right? And when you have a guy who's in his mid-30s who's going to be due for a giant contract, like you better – you can't just keep having second-round exits, right? Yeah, and you I can't, think you're exactly right about that, Ramon, in the contract. And I think something that's very over 
can be very overplayed sometimes is when teams, organizations or teams talk about, oh, all of our guys go out to dinner together. They're yeah, all yeah, so yeah. close. That doesn't mean anything no. to me. What matters is you don't have to be close. You have to care about winning. You have to care about giving of yourself and, yeah. and have the baby sacrifice some things like and coming in and put in the work every day. Going to dinner and vacationing together and hanging out. That's for Instagram. It, it doesn't really, <laughs> right? Like that's literally, that you don't need to be, I get, it's listen, it's great yeah. if that's the case, that's great. But but you don't have to have close relationships. You have to have a, a, a respect, Yeah. right? And an understanding that's that right. we need each other if we want to, if winnings comes first. And, and I think that's, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they don't have to be close friends, yeah. but they see what that partnership is. And yeah. I'm not saying they are, they're not. Same with Harden and Embiid. They're not. Those two aren't hanging out together, and they don't need to. They don't need to. It's fine. I mean, like, Joel sort of famously doesn't drink. He doesn't go out. He doesn't go to nightclubs. He, like, goes home to a suburban big house in, in the Philly burbs and, and plays with his son. Like, he's got, the, you know, a three-year-old son. Like, that's what he does. James Harden has a very different lifestyle, right? That, that doesn't know. Who that's cares, what right? That's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, like, who cares? It's fine as long as you have a respect in the court. Well, James Harden led the league in assists this year. He has changed his game somewhat to fit alongside Joel Embiid. And I think he would continue to do that if they win. But if you don't win, and we, and we all act like this is – this is up to James Harden, too. Like, what does he want? I, I don't know that there's anybody who could tell you what James wants right now. I mean, yeah, and, and that's why, like, the pressure's on to win, win now. There's no, this isn't ever anymore a three, four-year proposition. The pressure is on the Milwaukee Bucks yeah. to win another championship, to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo happy, to look at the group he has and say, this is, we have the pieces to be good moving forward, yep. that we can continue this thing. And that's the pressure that teams and organizations have, Um at all times, and, and you see it bubble to the surface this time of year. Yeah, and the only question to me is how how big of a, you know, how, how do you make change? Sometimes people make change just to make change, and it, and they would have been better off just sticking with what they have and let everyone run it back. Run it back and do it again. I don't know. Philly already did that with the, in the Ben Simmons-Joel era. They already kind of ran it back a few times, and then obviously it came to a screeching halt right at the end, right, when with, with the way Ben Ben's career ended there, but... I, I get the vibe. This has always been heading for a collision course with Boston. I don't think they match up well with Boston. I just like mm -hmm. Boston is just longer. They have more depth. Defensively, they're tougher. They have this scheme against Joel that tends to just force everyone else to beat them. Now, Joel has been so much better at passing out of double teams. The way Boston defends him, like they, you know, Boston, Toronto, all the teams in the East, you know, they have a playbook. They throw it at the Sixers. Joel has studied the playbook that other teams have thrown at him. He's been really good at passing out of double teams. It's just Boston is an elite defensive team. And so it may come down to it's not, it may not be, does Joel go for 50 every night? It may be, what do they get from Tobias? What do they get from House? What do they get from Harden? Is, you know, do they isolate Harden and make Harden beat them? Like, like Boston is, because they all know they're on a collision course. They've already started scouting each other. They already have looks that they're going to throw at each other. You know Joe Mazzula, right? I mean, this guy is as prepared as any coach I've ever met. Yeah, and and it's going to be and a in this time of year you have to oh. be. And he's a young coach going through this for the first time with a pretty young coaching staff. Yeah, people forget lost David Stoudemire midway or a little past yeah. midway through the season to take the Georgia Tech job, and 
you know, he's got a staff that'll be tested when you get in the postseason against, you know, now it's Quinn Snyder, it's Doc Rivers, it's Mike Budenholzer, it's Eric Spolstra, you know, coaches who've won championships. And and so, but the good news for Joe Mazzola is he's got great talent and he's got buy-in from his key players. So uh, a lot coming here in Woo, both, round one. both conferences. Round one, we haven't <laughs> even gotten into the visiting team's uh, buildings yet. But uh, a lot to come. Ramona, thanks as always for for, uh, taking time out. Thank you. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.